Hi guys, my name's Jason Mountford and this is The Hedge Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the show. Uh, just me today, where I'm getting into a bit of a routine now, a bit of a rhythm. Got interview, solo show, interview, solo show. Uh, I think that's a pretty good pace. It means that I can cover things that are going on in the news and then bring you somebody kind of interesting. We can then come back to me talking about more stuff that's going on, but then also kind of cover some of the things I've talked about in the episode and and expand on things and correct things and all that sort of stuff. So um, uh, I'm liking the rhythm. I'm liking being able to still talk to you guys and do these these episodes just by myself where I can cover, cover the issues that I want to cover. And speaking of today... There's a few things I want to go through. Number one, I want to talk about scams. I've had something happen to me this week that has kind of really highlighted this. I've known that scams are out there. I've known that financial um, scams are ripping people off all the time, but it's hit me um, personally. I've not been scammed myself, but um, I'll explain in a little bit more detail what I mean by that. But I think it's hugely important. It's becoming more and more prevalent. There's loads of people out there trying to rip others off, which is shit Um, and so I want to cover that and go through sort of how to identify these scams how to avoid them and how to make sure that your money is safe and going where you need it to go now I'm going to apologize in advance it's very noisy in here today I've got construction going across the road there's um I don't know if you just heard that motorbike going past, so a little bit of background noise today, but hopefully we'll get through it. Now, as well as scams, I want to talk about, um, I want to kind of cover something that I spoke with Mark LaMonica about last week. So we kind of glossed over a little bit, um, and that was when we were talking about the index versus uh, active debate and the way in the way in which these funds have worked especially in the US um, and it's he made a, he made a really interesting point and I want to revisit it I want to explain kind of what he was talking about and, and give you my take on it a little bit more so there the main things I want to get through today now before we jump into talking uh, about scams I want to just let you know about the uh, again about the website um, if you haven't picked up your copy of my ebook modern investing fundamentals make sure you do it. If you're new to investing, if you're wanting to make sure you've not missed anything when it comes to investments, there this ebook covers all of the kind of, like I say, the, the real fundamentals, the real building blocks, the real basics of investment. So it goes through all the different asset classes. It explains some different things around, you know, m- managing your money like emergency fund and that sort of thing. And it is a really, really good place to start if you're looking to, to start getting better with money. Now, this is available on Amazon for nine quid. You can go in there and buy it if you want. You can get it as a paperback or you can get it as an ebook. But for you guys, for people who listen to the show, I wanted to be able to give this to you for free. So if you go into the website, thehedge.io, jump on there and sign up to the newsletter, you'll get a copy delivered straight to your inbox, straight to your inbox for free. I would love to know what you think of it. You know, it is a, it's a, not the longest book in the world. It's about 50, 60 pages long, but it covers all the most important stuff that you need to know. And I'd really like to know what you guys think. I've got some really big plans for the website. So while you're on there, have a little poke around. I've got the podcast episodes, obviously, which you probably don't need if you're listening to this on your own podcast app, but there's loads of articles on there. And I'm also starting to beef up what I'm calling the learning hub. So there's going to be some new stuff coming there um, that I'm, I'm I'm pretty pumped about. There's some resources on there at the moment. Um, there's going to be some courses and things coming your way very soon as well. So I definitely recommend jumping on the website and checking out what's uh, what I've got coming over there. So, scams. Let's talk about scams, right? Now, we all know that scams are out there. They've 
scams are as old as time, right? When there was no such thing as the internet, people would try to scam you by mail fraud or scam you on the telephone. You know, when the internet came around, people were trying to scam you in a million different ways through websites and that sort of thing. And now with social media, it's just becoming more and more prevalent. Now, as I said at the start, this has come knocking on my door today. And it was a bit of a shock because I was on Instagram I've, as I've said uh, recently, I've been trying to be a bit more active on Instagram. I'm trying to post up interesting content up there, chucking some memes up on a weekend. And someone texted me or sent me a DM on Instagram with a screenshot from this profile, which looked exactly like mine. So my surname is Mountford, M-O-U-N-T-F-O-R-D, Mount Ford. And this person had created a profile which had the F and the T switched around. So it was Jason Mountford Money, M-O-U-N-F-T-O-R-D, yeah. Um, Copied my profile picture, copied my bio exactly, had copied every single one of my posts. So my posts go back um, kind of 18 months, almost two years, I think now, some of the oldest ones. And this person had just copied every single one, copied the captions, copied everything and posted them up four days ago, three days ago. So to the untrained eye, it literally was my profile. It looked exactly the same. Even the letters T and F, lowercase T and F, they look pretty similar. They've got a line across the middle. So um, I started to, I've started to have a lot of people getting in touch with me and saying, is this you? What's going on? Because now, not only that, so they had this profile, it looked, looked completely fake. So I went to try and find this person and see what was going on. I couldn't find it. So I text back or message back the the person said, "Is it, are you sure it's still up? Because I can't actually see it anywhere." Um, and they said, "Yeah, I've seen this before. They've probably blocked you. So they've created a profile that looks exactly like mine, and then they've blocked me, so I can't ever actually see it." So I have a um, another. I've got a couple of Instagram accounts for random things that I've gone to set up in in the past, and so I, I jumped on one of the other Instagram accounts that I, I have, and I I found this person. I found this profile, and like I say, it looked exactly like mine. But the the difference was number one. They have more followers than me, which is a bit depressing. But um, the other thing was they were putting up um, in the, on their stories crap about like crypto trading strategies, and um, I'm going to be launching a, st- a strategy. You know, check your inbox or whatever. And then they'd been DMing people and and starting getting getting that conversation going. And they did such a good job of this that a good mate of mine, who I speak to on a, a fairly regular basis. We comment and and you know write stuff and um, hit like and all that on on social media quite often. He he sent me a WhatsApp message, and said, um, "Hey mate, I'm going great. Um, been a busy week. Just thought I'd message you on WhatsApp instead of Instagram. It's easier." I thought that's weird. I've not sent him a DM on Instagram. Um, so I said, "Mate, I don't. Sorry, I don't know. I'm glad you've had a good week, but I don't know what you're talking about." And so he uh, he screenshotted it, and this person had had uh, slid into his DMs and was saying hello. And um, you know, I, in hindsight, I said, "Yeah, to be fair, it didn't sound anything like you." But you just got to be really careful because the, the 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 conversation starts in a very conversational way. They give you a little wave emoji, say hello, how are you, how's things going, blah blah blah. And the point is that eventually they will get to a get to a point where they'll be asking you for money or they'll be recommending you invest in something. And I think this is something that all a huge proportion of um, finance, money, investing creators 
are going through. I spoke about this with Peter Komalafe on um, on the on this podcast when he came on. He said someone had done the exact same thing to him. Now, um, the challenging thing is that there's not a lot we can do about it. You know, you report it. I've asked loads of people to report it. I've had lots of my followers tell me that they've reported it as well, but. Um, you know, nothing really happens. You know, maybe at some point um, the profile will get to- taken down, which I hope will happen sooner rather than later, but, you know, it could take a very long time. But then, you know, what's to stop that person from just creating another one which looks exactly the same again? And so I've been thinking a lot about this because it made me feel very uncomfortable and made me feel very kind of guilty, even though I, I wasn't the one doing anything wrong. Um, you know, the idea that somebody could be getting getting scammed out of their money using my image and my name is is very uncomfortable feeling. So um, if anyone has any, any ideas of, of how to, how I, what I, anything I can do, then I'm, I'm all ears. I made my profile private for a couple of days and then all that happened was the other person made theirs private. Um, so I think what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be um, focusing my content on just sending people elsewhere. So I know that sounds a bit rubbish, but you know, rather than posting up specific valuable content on Instagram, it will mainly be telling people to go read an article on the website, go listen to an episode of the podcast, um, go and watch a YouTube video for somebody, not just myself, but other creators that I like. I guess I guess that's one way. One thing I can do is try and make sure that all of my content is sending people places that are legitimate. Um, but I am all ears. So if you have any ideas of what I can do about this, if there's anything that me and other creators can do to, to stop scam accounts or, or fight against them, then I am all ears. Um, I've, I've even thought about just deleting Instagram altogether, to be honest, because I don't know if I can be bothered with the aggro, but we'll see. We'll see what happens over the next um, weeks and months. But anyway, let's talk more broadly about scam. So, you know, effectively, when we're talking about investing, when we're talking about money, the old adage of, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is, is a very, very good one to live by. And, you know, in the past, you know, throughout all the content that I've produced, throughout all the episodes of this podcast, I talk a lot about, you know, average returns that you can expect. And, you know, if you're talking about the stock market, if you go back, the American stock market for the last 120 years, how long it's been going for, you know, the average returns you're going to get are kind of high single digits, low double digits per annum on average. That's over the course of a year. That's kind of the long-term average that you can expect. Now, no one knows what the next 100 years is going to look like. Obviously, we're in fairly crazy times at the moment. Then again, it was pretty crazy times in the early part of the, the 20th century as well. So who knows what whether those kind of high single digits, low double digit returns are realistic over the long term. But I think, you know, the point is, is that those somewhere in that region is reasonable, right? Now we've got crypto on the scene now. So what is reasonable has been thrown out the window a little bit because there's obviously been cryptocurrencies that have performed significantly better than that. Um, That comes with a lot of risk and that comes with a lot of scams as well. So Anytime you've got somebody who's who's promising you something incredible, right? This is the way I, I always look at it. If someone is telling you about an investment opportunity that sounds amazing, and it is amazing, right? And if it was true, why is that person not just investing their own money? You know, if they had an investment opportunity where they could get you a 50% return in four days' time, why would they just not borrow every single penny they could get their hands on, max out the credit card, sell their sofa, sell the TV, and do it themselves? 
you know, that's that's the way I always look at it because, and it's the same. It's also the same with um, with people who are trying to sell you courses about how to grow a million pound online store or how to sell eBooks on Amazon and make twenty grand a month. If it was that easy, if they could buy, buy your course for four hundred quid and make thirty five k a month, why the fuck are you bothering with selling me the course? Why don't you just go and do the thing that you, you're you're trying to sell me on? And that's that. That's I think a really important way to look at these sorts of investments because not investments, they're scams. These sorts of scams. If it sounds too good to be true, why is that person not doing it themselves? And maybe they have a have a reason. They don't have enough. Um, uh, you know, when I say reason, maybe they have a story that they can tell you. Don't have enough liquid capital, or whatever. But it, it's bullshit. You know. I don't know about you guys, but if, if there was actually a legitimate way that I could double my money in four days without any risk, I would sell every single thing that I could get my hands on. I would sell every share I owned. I would sell my car. I would sell my bed. I would sell everything. I'd be living in an empty house because I would be. I would know that I could definitely guarantee that I would double my money in four days. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you? So, that's always the question you ask yourself. If this is so good, why is this person not doing it themselves? And I guess, you know, following on from that, you've also got to um, think about the context of, of, of where this person has approached you from. You know, if someone approaches you on social media it is a, and, and asks you to give money, it is a scam. It just flat out is. You know, no con- every content creator who is out there knows what a crazy wasteland it is and how difficult it is to beat these scammers. No legitimate finance, money, investment person, investment manager, financial advisor, um, anyone to do with money is going to be asking you for money on social media in DMs. Now, sometimes you may get some people who create content who will try to direct you to courses that they sell or books that they've made or you know things where um, you know they are they are selling you something. People will sell you in the DMs, but the important thing is that they should be sending you somewhere that is legitimate. So sending you to a website where you can use a credit card to pay out, you have credit card protection. Um, sending you to Amazon to buy their book. Sending them somewhere that is an actual website where you can actually do a normal checkout, like you buy the stuff that you buy all the time. You know, if someone's asking you to PayPal them random amounts just off an Instagram DM, that's a fucking scam. If people are asking you to send crypto to a wallet address randomly through a DM on Twitter or Instagram, that's a fucking scam. Just really think carefully about when you are sending money somewhere, what is your potential comeback from this? You know, have you used a credit card that you could, you know, get protection on? Um, you know, have you done it through a, a secure gateway? Have you done it through a legitimate big company website? Just got to be really, really careful. Remember, if it, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And if you're ever unsure at all, just don't do it. You know, there's lots of different ways that you can get in touch with the people who are who are supposedly on the other end um, of the scam. So I had a number of people. I, I have a weekly newsletter that comes from me every week. Um, people have signed up on on the website, on the Hedge website. Um, it's me, right? And people have got in touch with me um, via the website and via that newsletter asking if it was legitimate um, because 
that that can't be faked. You know, you go to the hedge.io, that is my web address, that is my website, that is where all the content is, that is the, the legitimate place where I am and I put everything out there. So if you're ever unsure, go to the place where you know, um, go to the, the legitimate option of where you know that place, that person actually is, where they actually create their content and get in touch with them to double check from, from there. So, Oh, it's, tell you what, it's really pissed me off though, this this whole thing, because like I say, I feel, you feel a bit powerless really as to whether you can do anything about it. But just be careful out there, guys. It is getting, it's getting a lot worse, I think, and the platforms um, are doing very little, very little about it. So anyway, let's go on to the next thing I wanted to talk about, which was, um, it's index versus passive, but I, I want to talk a little bit more about Mark's argument, Mark LaMonica, this is, I'm talking about from Morningstar, he's kind of, not argument, but he's, at the point that he raised about how indexes are actually um, calculated and how they've, they've operated or how they do operate. So if you've not listened to the episode last week, I interviewed Mark LaMonica, who's from Morningstar. Morningstar, very big um, research data and analytics company. They, they do, um, you know, investment research, um, paid newsletters, um, subscription um, research, all sorts of stuff like that. And they have a lot of analysts that look at um, look at the markets and look at individual companies and sectors in, in an excruciating amount of detail. And I asked Mark what his take on active versus passive investing was. And his comment was that since the 2008 global financial crisis, active, uh, sorry, index or passive investing has been the place to be. He said, you know, he said, explain that it's outperformed significantly well. Um, we've, you know, seen a proliferation of content around it, um, index funds. You know, there is a billion videos on YouTube saying how amazing Vanguard is. If you go on Instagram, there's accounts that whenever they talk about investing, it's always about Vanguard. Everyone is kind of obsessed with Vanguard. And in a way, you know, it makes sense. They perform, indexes have performed well. It's a very easy option to choose because they have very low fees. So, you know, you're not paying high fees for an active management that may outperform and then then is someone going to go back and complain to the creator and say that you lost me money because you recommended this fund and, and, and whatnot. But anyway, Mark made the point that one of the reasons why indexes have performed so well is because they are cap-weighted and the companies at the top of those indexes have performed really well. So I want to explain those two things. Number one, indexes the vast majority of indexes are weighted by market capitalization. So market capitalization just means how much is a company worth? So if a company uh, has 100 shares on issue and the shares are worth uh, a pound each, then you've got 100 shares times one pound. The market capitalization of that company is 100 pounds. That's the value of the company. So if you um, have seen on the news or seen on, on a website or whatever recently, Apple um, surpassed three trillion. The value of the company surpassed three trillion. And when they say that, they mean market cap. So the number of shares that are on issue, the number of Apple shares that are out there on the market, times the the value of the share. So as the share price increases, obviously, and if the number of shares doesn't change, the value of the company goes up. The market cap goes up. And the way that an index works is that the larger your market cap, the more influence you have on the movement of that index. So the company at the top, let's use the S&P 500, so the American stock market. The S&P 500, the biggest company on that is Apple. 
buy it because they are the company with the largest market cap. Now, I don't actually know what the company um, 500 is. Hold on. Let me, I'll, I'll go check. Give me one second. Okay, I've had a look. I found a website called slickcharts.com. Don't know how legit that is, but I can't be bothered uh, trawling too far. So whatever, it'll be close enough. The the number 500 on the list is Fox Corporation Class B shares. Um, let's just go through a couple of the other ones that are around that. So number 499 is Ralph Lauren Corporation, 497 um, Alaska Air, number 502 Under Armour uh, Class A shares, number 503 Gap. So you know, those are still big companies, you know, Fox, like Fox News, um, Ralph Lauren, obviously big clothing company, but then Alaska Air, I mean, you know, they're nothing compared to uh, compared to Apple. So the idea is that if Alaska Air shares drop by 50%, what's really going to be the impact on the world economy? To be honest, I would say a lot of people probably haven't even heard of Alaska Air. So I'm sure that there'd be an impact. Obviously, if, if there was a particular reason, then maybe that would flow on to other airline stocks a bit. But broadly speaking, if Alaska Air went under or if Alaska Air had a, had a bad 12 months, it's not really going to impact the world or the economy that much. You know, it's, it, it is what it is. If Apple went bankrupt, there'd be some pretty massive um, reverberations on that. You know, if you think of the amount of money that's invested into the, to Apple, if you think about all of the integrations, you know, how many of us have iPhones? What's going to happen with all the all the old iPhones, um, iOS apps that have all you know, all these businesses that are run on iOS, you know, all these sorts of things. It would have a massive, massive impact if Apple were to go bankrupt overnight, which wouldn't happen. But you know, we're talking hypotheticals here. The idea is, the higher a company is on the market capitalization, the bigger that company is, the more valuable that company is, the more it moves the market, the more influential it is. So by definition, what that means is that index funds are basically moved by the companies that are at the top of that. Now, that means that over the last sort of, what are we on, 14, 15 years, since 14 years since 2008 financial crisis, the companies that have moved the indexes um, or that move the indexes the most also happen to be the companies that have performed incredibly, incredibly well. So if we look at like the top 10 of the S&P 500, so like I said, Apple is number one, number two is Microsoft, number three is Amazon, we've then got Tesla, Alphabet, which is Google, number six is Meta, Facebook, number seven is, is Google as well, class C shares as opposed to class A shares, we've then got number eight, which is Nvidia, which is another tech company that make um, they make like uh, computer chips and stuff. Number nine is Berkshire Hathaway, and number ten is J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. So of the top ten companies in the S and P five hundred, eight of them, the top eight, are all tech companies. So what it means is that realistically speaking, if everything else in the S and P five hundred underperformed over the last fourteen years and didn't actually do that great but the top eight companies did very, very well, the index still likely would have gone up quite a lot because those top eight make up a much larger portion of the overall weighting of the index than the bottom the, you know, the, the bottom companies. So Mark's point was that index investing has done well, but index investing has done well largely because the companies that make up the bulk of those indexes have done well. So if we think about this the opposite way, right? So the um, 
kind of first part of 2022, the opposite has actually happened. So um, tech companies are starting to come under a, a lot of pressure. So you know, Netflix is the biggest one at the moment. There's been they've they've missed some subscriber numbers. Um, there's some talk around, you know, whether they uh, whether they're going to be able to grow as much and, and whether people not working at home so much is going to impact them and that sort of thing. So, you know, it mean the Netflix Netflix share price has gone down quite a lot. And actually, there's the potential that we could see the the opposite happen. So, if the top eight companies, all those tech companies, start to actually underperform. Relative to the rest of the, relative to the rest of the market, you could get a scenario where the index is actually performing quite bad, even though there are lots of companies within the index that are performing well. So you know, financial companies, um, travel and leisure companies, you know, loads of different sectors that could be performing well, but they're not going to be big enough necessarily to have an impact on what the index funds are actually doing and how the index funds are performing. And actually, um, in the episode where I was chatting with Mark, I I gave an example of um, of Australia because Australia is a good example because it's sort of the opposite. So, you know, the top of the American market, we've got these companies that are very in- innovative. They work. They're from a, a new industry um, where there's constant innovation. Um, there's constant new technology coming on the scene. There's constant new ways to generate revenue from people. And so that's obviously been part of why they've been able to grow so fast because it's a new and emerging um, area that they operate in. Australian economy is very, very different. The Australian economy is based basically on financial services and resources. So you've got big banks domestically focused banks, four, they call them big four, the big four banks who are all roughly the same in size um, that are very, very wealthy or very, very big influential companies. You've then got mining companies and that's pretty much the bulk of the Australian stock market. And because of that, you ha- th- those industries, financial services um, and especially domestic Australian financial services and mining and resources are not innovative you know, not in terms of you know new technologies. They are people have been digging out coal and oil and gas from the ground for a very long time. You know, there's not much that changes in how those businesses operate. There's not much. There's not many new sources of revenue that they can create. There's not much technology that drastically reduces the the cost of production. Same with financial services. You know, mortgage is a mortgage, right? And so you actually have this situation where the companies that are the largest companies in Australia are quite slow-moving, plodding along companies. They do okay. They provide good dividends back to the shareholders. They grow at a reasonable rate, but you don't get the explosive growth you get from companies like Tesla, Facebook, and um, Apple. So one of the strategies in the past that active managers have taken in Australia is actually to do the opposite and say, they call it the, the ASX 200, the Australian Stock Exchange 200, which is the sort of Australian equivalent of the FTSE 100 or the S&P 500, and rather than invest in the, the the full you know full ASX 200, what some active managers do is they actually say, well, look, we're going to exclude the top 20 companies, so we're not going to invest in any of the banks, we're not going to invest in any of the big mining companies, and we're going to look at the ones the companies that are lower down that list now. The companies that are lower down that list tend to be smaller companies that tend to be work. Um, that tends to be more growth-orientated companies, and that gives the potential for outperformance. Now, obviously, because they are smaller companies, there's more risk involved. They could be more volatile, but that's kind of the point: is that the the trade-off for that is that your long-term returns are are potentially higher. And so, you know, that has been a a, a kind of a way where index investing 
doesn't necessarily take advantage of the 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 market environment that you're in. So, um, kind of the, the really long and short of it is that there are there are opportunities for active managers coming up, and it will be very interesting to see um, how the next few years plays out for for index investing because you know the tech sector in the US has gone through a phenomenal run, and it does kind of feel like we're starting to get to the point where maybe we are reaching peak tech company. You know, Facebook's going through a lot of issues at the moment. It's one of the reasons why they changed their name to Meta. Um, obviously, there's been some some high-profile ones recently, like, say, Netflix shares have dropped significantly. Even Amazon shares are down now. Um, Tesla um, Tesla sort of has on, ongoing issues, really. And it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out over the next few years and whether, um, whether there's going to be more opportunities for active managers to outperform. Because at the end of the day, like um, again, like Mark said, it may be, may be their last chance because the, the saying is always gone that active managers perform better when there are volatile times, when markets aren't performing so well. And, you know, that could be what we're going to see on the horizon is potentially some greater le- levels of volatility, which will give active managers a chance to to show their worth, I suppose, because obviously it costs, it costs a lot more money to invest with active managers. So in order to justify doing that, they need to really give, be giving you a better long-term outcome after all fees and charges are, are taken into account. So watch this space. Um, if you have any, uh, it's something to do some more research on. Uh, I think uh, kind of my take on it is always to, to look at the individual investment that you're you're making, look at what your objectives are, and then try and match match your investment to to your uh, to your goal. So if you want an income-based portfolio, then maybe active managers are better better off for you. If you're looking at markets that are smaller, like emerging markets, you know that's a place where active management can provide some potentially provide some additional value. If you're looking for just something you can set and forget, not have to think about, then some sort of um, all all world index fund is is potentially a, a good place for you. So everyone's circumstances are going to be different. What's right for one person's investments is not going to be right for another. So always important to to do your own research on that. But let's uh, let's see how the next few years plays out. Right, guys, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the show. Remember, if you want to learn a bit more about investments, if you want to understand um, more about the basics of different asset classes, what diversification means, what a risk profile is, what an emergency fund does, and how to structure all that stuff, then make sure you pick up a copy of my ebook, Modern Investing Fundamentals. You can grab a copy off Amazon for nine quid, but don't do that. Go onto the website, thehedge.io, drop in your email address, and a copy will be sent to you for free directly to your inbox within a couple of minutes. Um, If you have other people in your friends, in your family circle who you think would benefit from that, make sure you send them over to the website as well. It is completely free. Have a poke around. Um, If you want to get in touch with me, if you have questions, again, the website is the best place to do that. Um, You can find all the links to my social pages on there. You can get drop me an email. As I said at the outset, you know, with Instagram, you can follow me on there. It's Jason Mountford Money. But I am I am on the fence a little bit about how my my uh, Instagram use is going to play out over the next uh, few months, just with this all this scam stuff going on. So, best way to get in touch with me is definitely by the, the by the website at thehedge.io. If you have questions, if you have feedback, I would really love to hear from you. Um, but until then, let's speak next week.